This episode is sponsored by PuttView Books. These are some of the best yardage books out there. So whether you're headed to your next tournament at a course you've never played at, or you're just looking to get a little more info at your home course that you play every day, you're going to want to check these out. There's two cool things you need to know. One is the green maps. These are some really detailed info on the greens that you're headed into. So you know the slopes before you even get there. And you can look at the pin position and kind of understand what's going on. I really like the kind of heat map almost look that you can see. Really clear, really simple, very useful. The other thing I like is some of the info that you get off the tee. So with the yardages to carry and then some of the rollout info as well. Plus, what does the ground look like in the fairway? Which way are things going to run off as well? So really good info on both those things. Clear, well-designed. Design is important to me, and I like the design of these quite a bit. So. You're going to check these out, puttviewbooks.com, over 30,000 courses worldwide. I bet they're going to have what you're looking for when you plug in that golf course. You're definitely going to check these out, puttviewbooks.com, so you're more prepared the next tournament you're headed into. We're on a mission to help golfers from all over the world achieve their goals by understanding what it actually takes to play their best golf. We're talking with leading instructors, researchers, and players themselves to find what is actually working. Hey, thanks for joining us today. You are listening to one of our partner shows. It is the Tour Coach Podcast with Tony Ruggiero. He has some phenomenal guests on talking about teaching tour pros. He'll have his players on. It's always a great show. Today was another great episode. I want to share that with you here on the Golf Science Lab Podcast. Let's get into it. So here I am on the tour coach. I'm actually driving down I-10 for one of my last trips over to Frederica. But join me now is one of my good friends, and we were just laughing about we're doing a podcast while driving. We're just cranking them out and putting information out to people, which is which is all I really care about. But uh, joining me now is my good friend Tim Breon. And Tim, you've had a. I've tried to hire you before. Your career skyrockets. I can't afford you anymore, but I can't afford to get you on the podcast every once in a while. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, man. How you doing, Tony? Thanks for having me on. Doing good. So I uh, had an opportunity to start the year to start work with Foresight Sports. Uh, for those of you familiar with Foresight, we've seen a lot of success out of the PGA Tour and LPGA Tours over the last few years. I think we've done a really good job at, at differentiating ourselves, our competitors. You know, uh, the emergence of technology in the game, it's just been amazing how things have evolved. I remember, Tony, back to when the old A-Star video systems and you had those big things on wheels that you would cart all over the lesson tee and you, you thought you had something special. You look at what's available these days with force plates and motion capture systems and, in our case, optical launch monitor systems. And, you know, it's just amazing how technology has driven the game forward. I have to think that it's a big reason, with a lot of other reasons, why we see scores where they are. You know, I remember back when I played junior golf, somebody shooting 63 in a junior tournament was unheard of. Nowadays, look at AJGA scoreboards, and it seems like every week somebody's going low and consistently low out there just in junior golf. So it's been a lot of fun to, to join the guys over at Foresight and spend some time on a different side of the business. As you mentioned, you know, being involved with fitting previous to this with both TaylorMade Golf and true spec golf was was a wonderful experience but really cool opportunity with foresight to kind of drive the industry forward leveraging some of the new ideas innovations that are coming out in the tech space 
Yeah, I agree. And I've been very impressed. One, I was excited when you joined Foresight. We've done, you and I always kept in touch and done a lot together. I've always bounced a lot of questions off you when it comes to fitting and fitting good players. Been excited. I've been obviously. I've had a four, I've had a quad for. I've got two of them. I've had the. Uh, I had my. I've had my first one. I think like almost three years now. Two to three years, and been extremely pleased with it. But, but, and I mean, you're never shocked. I don't think in this business. But man, right. the, the growth and the number that you see on the PGA Tour T over the last eight months to a year has been unbelievable. Yeah, I think that that's due to, uh, you know, when you look at the versatility of our hardware and software. You know, our units perform the same indoors as they do outdoors. That's a huge piece for teachers because I think a lot of teachers these days are teaching in the indoor environment, and a lot of them are doing a bit of hybrid of both. I think that's the best delivery of instruction, if I'm being honest, a hybrid approach between indoor and outdoor instruction. I think it it really lends well towards expediting the learning curve. So you can isolate in the indoor environment not being outcome-driven, And then when you get into the outdoor environment, you can be a little more outcome driven. But I think that our versatility in both environments and the accuracy and precision in both environments, when you look at, you know, launch monitors in general, you have Doppler systems and you have optical systems and you also have infrared systems, but the most prevalent are Doppler and and optical. And when you're looking at the differences between Doppler and optical, it's very important to understand the differences between the two. For all of our listeners out there that may not be as technically apt, or have that kind of interest. Like the difference is, yeah, the difference is basically, do your club data numbers depend upon some of the numbers that you record from your ball, or do they not? Are they independent? That's a huge thing, because if you're deriving some of your data off of the other side of the equation, and you make an error with any of those calculations, then the entire equation is wrong. One of the things that optical is able to do is it's able to isolate the different sides of the equation, so to speak. So when we're capturing data on the golf club, it's completely independent of the data that's being captured on the ball and vice versa. The next big thing I think that's important to understand the differences between Doppler and optical is the precision as far as understanding club face orientation and pathway and alignments. And being really able to drill down and being able to determine, okay, so the ball started right. The ball starts to the right because the toe of the club was digging in the ground or because the face was open. And what was the reason that the ball did what it did? Understanding impact for a teacher or a fitter is crucial. And it's it's the thing, you know, when you look at like Butch, right? Butch is the, you know, considered the king. He's the king, right? So you'll know this, Tony. What does Butch do most better than almost any other instructor? It's it's reading ball flight and specifically impact, right? Being able to know exactly what happened at club delivery. So crucial, right? And I think it all goes back to his father, right? And I've spent some time, a little bit of time around him, and I've talked a couple times with Billy Harmon, and I think that Mm -hmm. and transferring this to the use of technology. But, you know, the ball is an inanimate object. It doesn't know how old you are. It doesn't, you know, we saw that with Phil. The physics equation. It doesn't know anything other than what that club's doing when it hits it. You know, right. and I think that, uh, you know, not speaking for them, but I know that that's a huge part of their teaching is what the club face, the club face and what it's doing at impact and what it's doing with the ball. And I agree 100 percent with that. And, and so when it comes to my teaching, you know, that's one thing that I liked about some of the technology out there, uh, in particular the quad. But I think it's really important if you're teaching any level of player 
to understand and know what the club head is doing through impact. And, well, you know, I, I, I think that to me, all the other stuff, I mean, there's a lot of important stuff, but to me, that's the most important thing is like the club face is king. And you got to know where it is and what it's doing when you hit the ball. Exactly right. And the precision and the accuracy that's needed to be able to categorize and characterize that properly is really important, right? Because in this game, I would say millimeters matter. And in this game, degrees of inches matter, right? So right. Uh, especially when you start talking about putting. So the ability to capture this information accurately. Now, listen, uh, I understand there are a lot of players out there that may not get into the more technical side of the game, but you can take this information and apply it in the more general statement of, hey, the reason you hit your shots out to the right is because you lift the handle and you cause the toe of the club to dig in the ground. That's not necessarily you know, very specific data-driven information, or, or, or that's not really specific information as far as technically driven. But at the end of the day, it's being derived from data that's being captured by a launch monitor. And I think, you know, our system has been proven by tour players to be able to do that at a level of accuracy and precision that our competitors aren't capable of just due to the base platform of being either Doppler or in some cases, you know, infrared systems that don't capture with the level of clarity and precision as optical does. So I think that's a big reason. And then another huge reason, as you know, Tony, everybody loves bringing their quad out on the golf course. They love yeah. being able to see shots on the course. And right. so that's when we talk about where are things going, right? Where are things going? Where in do the you tech see space? technology going? Where do you see technology going from an instruction and playing perspective? We've got two challenges ahead of us, right? We've got this influx of golfers from COVID, a lot of new people to the game. So how do we get these folks better where they want to stick around a while and they don't just want to quit in a couple of years? And because of the restrictions on being able to go to the golf course, we've seen a huge proliferation in simulator growth. So yes. how do we bridge the gap between virtual golf and launch people, you know, messing around in their backyard, hit into a hitting net? How do we bridge the gap between those experiences and real golf? That's one thing that I think we're going to start seeing some products and experiences being launched and developed specifically to, to focus on that, right? And then the next big thing, I think, we're used to seeing all of this technology. We're used to seeing it in the training bay or in the fitting bay. Right. But as you know, when the rubber meets the road out on the golf course, sometimes things change just a little bit. And so yep. being able to capture data on course, I think, you know, when you look at Arcos, Foresight, we have our own Arcos-style game management app, which is called Four. A lot of people are not familiar with it. But the on-course experiences, collecting data on-course through intuitive technology, um, and then you can start to unlock all these cool different things when you talk about technology applications on-course. Uh, so I think that that's where we're going to start seeing some focus uh, within the different technology groups, not just Foresight, but across the industry. And really cool, really cool takeaway here in the growth of the game last year, Tony. The demographic that grew the most was the 20 to 40 year old demographic, which are the more technically savvy. Yeah, these are the more technically savvy, you know, folks in general. So I think, you know, the industry has been very slow to adopt tech, I think, but I think we're going to see a change in that as, as the, as the average golfer gets younger. I agree. And I think one other thing that, like all other technology, like I remember when, heck, you remember when 
you know, CD players first came out, right? You know, mm-hmm. and, and you remember every piece of technology when it starts is bigger and more expensive, right? And less people have it. And then as it goes over time, it seems, you know, that they get smaller, more manageable price wise, and more people have access to it. And I think that's another thing that is going to happen is that we have these, we have these pressure plates and force plates and we have these launch monitors that measure club head data and ball flight and all that stuff. I think ultimately there's going to be a way for stuff that is really good and really good quality to be able to produce where more regular golfers who want to get better have access to it on their own. And I mean, you know, what's manageable for one person may not be manageable for the other, but you know, I I think that eventually there's going to be somebody that figures out how to put some of this technology in the hands of a 15 handicapper that wants to do some of this on her own. You're 100% right. I mean, we, we couldn't agree more with that statement. I can't really pull the curtain yeah, back no, too you far, but, but I, back, I will but say that that's where we're that, going. Yeah, 100%. You know, the idea of the remote learning environment, you know, how do we reimagine how to take a golf lesson? If you don't have to drive to the golf course to get an interactive golf lesson that's data-driven, where you get video and launch monitor parameters, if you don't have a software ecosystem that can kind of do that for folks, if we can eliminate the actual commute to the golf course and let somebody do it, you know, in their own backyard mm-hmm. and do it at the same level that they would be getting the instruction if they were at the course face-to-face, right. uh, I think that that's, you know, the remote learning model is not just growing, you know, outside of golf, but I think we're going to start to see it adopted in golf as well. I agree. I agree. And I think that that's good for the game. And and to me, you know, the argument that technology is bad or that, you you know, you don't need, to me is going away. I think even the the most old school, and I would, I guess, be, I don't know what I am, hell, anymore, but I I guess I'm a (laughs) blend. I guess I'm a blend of old school. You're the hybrid. Because, you know, I, look, I, I always joke about it, but, hell, I got $100,000 or more worth of crap in my teaching building, right? Right. You know? And I'm talking to you about buying another one. But I, I think that we're getting over this phobia or fear that if you use it, you've got to be complicated and you that a, that a 60-year-old guy or a 65-year-old guy that comes in can't understand it. And something like, just let's talk about pressure tracing, like, some of the people that get the most benefit to me out of it are some of your senior golfers that don't have any pivot, right? They've actually right. benefit the most from being able to look at it and see it. So that's what's exciting to me about the future of technology and, and the fact that maybe more people are going to be able to use it. So you just hit something that, that hit it out of the park with a personal experience that I had literally just six days ago. My role with Foresight is business development, and in that role – you know, contemplating strategic partnerships and integrations into other technologies, et cetera. We came across a technology that is basically pressure sensors in the insoles of your shoes. Mm-hmm. So it's basically taking a pressure pad and putting it in your in your shoes. And, you know, as you know, I've been playing golf my whole life, had access yes. to the best level of instruction. You've even seen me make golf swings and made comments. Unbeknownst to me through the last 30 years of playing, I start out in my address with 98% of my weight on my toes. And the minute I start to bring the club back, I rebalance to the center of my feet. Why? Because I don't want to fall down. Right. Well, 
Where would you think that a player that does that hits the ball on the face of the club? Probably on the toe because their entire body is three inches further away from it than they were at the dress. Yep. Well, I've suffered from a toe hit on a missed strike my whole career. Never realized it was because I set, I set up with my toe, with my weight on my toe. This is all something that technology was able to unlock for me just through a little demo experience on a new product. So for all you folks out there that are not ready to adopt technology, I suggest you have an open mind because it can help you play better for sure. You know, I tell people all the time, I'd like your opinion on this. You know, you can use any of this technology to get as much or as little information as you want, right? right. I gave a, and you'll like that, I gave a teaching seminar to some folks that had gotten a brand new horse play down South Florida. Yep. And, you know, one of these young pros was asking about vertical force and all this stuff. And I said, you know, when I started with it, and I've had one for like 13, 14 years, the biggest thing I did was get people balanced at a dress and be able to show them what balance is. Right. And it's amazing how many times on those pressure plates you'll show somebody their setup and they'll be 75% loaded on their lead side. And you'll right. say, no, I want you to move your weight back a little bit. Move your weight onto your right foot a little bit. And then they'll, they'll move it 0% and then look back at you like, is that better? <laughs> Correct, right? I mean, like my iPhone. I know my iPhone can do a ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't only use it for like three things, right? Because it's what <laughs> I need, right? You know, some people use it more. And I think that that's where technology is going in golf as well. Like, right. you know, we're going to have more people have access to stuff. At some point, there's going to be a way that you can measure your balance and your trace and all those things, probably reasonably affordable on your own. And, you know, I mean, I think it's always going to be like, is it? does it give you as much information as a $30,000 dual worth light? Well, probably not. But I mean, does a 15 handicapper that's trying to get started learning that and improve need to know that? Probably doesn't need to know it all either. Do you need to drive a car capable of going 250 if you're in seven mile an hour traffic in the traffic jam on the work every day? Probably not. Well, I, wish, I wish I had one right now driving over to Frederica with this four hours ahead of me. But, you know, <laughs> one of the reasons I'm not doing it anymore. But, you know, so let's transfer this to fitting. I always like to pick your brain on equipment and fitting because, I mean, to me, you're the smartest guy out there on it. And you always, like, you'll always, I'll bounce my, because I don't think I'm that smart on equipment. And, like, I'll bounce things off you and I'll go, like, well, hey, I wasn't quite as, you know, I wasn't as bad as I thought. But where do you see, like, we've seen all, you know, we've seen these huge advances in technology. We've seen it transfer yep. down to fitting. And we've seen it trans and, and also technology and what it's done with equipment. Where do you see stuff going? And where do you see the technology help it improve and help us fit? And where do you see equipment going? So when you're talking about fitting, you know, at the end of the day, there are certain components of a fitting that are very artistic, right? So fitting a player for shaft, for the type of shaft, that's a lot less data-driven of a process, right? There's a lot of yeah. feel that can go into that. Sometimes you'll experience some outliers where, you know, a shaft will be a low-launching, low-spinning product for some players, but then in the hands of one specific outlier, it happens to do the opposite, you know? So yeah, when it comes to shaft fitting, there's always going to be a little bit of art that the face-to-face in-person experience, you know, is, is always going to be able to help really narrow down those options. That being said, you know, the basis of club fitting is really just numbers. When right. you look at, okay, I need to adjust. All right, so this is the person's current parameters with this club. 
all right, uh, I know that that club that they're currently using is a low-launching, low-spinning club. So if they were using an average club, it would probably launch a little higher and spin a little more than what they're currently doing. Where does that line up with their current window and how much do I need to change it? So it's all quantitative. It's all data-driven. It's all numbers-driven when you're looking at club head and things like that. So there's an aspect of club fitting that definitely can be assisted with technology. Where do I see it going? This is going to be kind of a big answer here. We talk about AI and we talk about artificial intelligence, right? Okay. A true AI system is able to evaluate a system and be able to evaluate it based on its efficacy and then make changes to the system. So the point is, is it can learn on its own and it can change the system based on its learnings. Eventually, I see club fitting being AI driven because it's perfect wow. for it. I think that there are understandings, you know, I appreciate your comments to lead off this segment as far as, you know, my time being a fitter in the industry and, and would certainly like to think that, you know, me and, and probably another dozen or a couple dozen guys out there are really, really good at it. But if you were to ask us, you know, our golden rules of fitting, there would only be a couple of points that we would reach a consensus on. You know, I don't think that there's a general understanding out there as far as the, the science, the true science behind it. And right. that's where I think AI is going gonna, is gonna to help. It's going to help understand, you know, where, where a fit needs to go just based upon thousands and thousands of outcomes before. And that's what machine learning is, right? It, it takes a look at a system that says, okay, this happened so many times in the past, so statistically this is the highest probability of working now. And that's where I think AI is going to end up working. So here's where I want to pose the question, because this is the thing that I think you're best at. And I want to bring attention to it, because it's one of the reasons I use you and I bounce things off, is I think the art of fitting from the very best fitters are the people that understand not just how to make the golf ball good go good right there. Yeah. I, think, I think that's numbers, and I don't think that's nearly as hard to do. But I think the fitter that knows where the teacher's trying to go in the golf swing and can match a fit with a club that will help the player learn to make a better golf swing and still give them better results. I think that's an art form a little bit. And, I mean, yeah. that's why I think you may always have to have a human standing there with the AI. Yeah, I mean, having a teacher input, right? I mean, you can always – and then it's not true AI anymore. The minute that you put, you know, a confine on the system and say, okay – we're going to say that this is where the player is going to be going sometime in the future. We're telling the AI, here's a restriction upon your logic that you can develop. So I think that, you know, when you're, yeah. So I think that, I think what's going to, I agree with you too, by the way, I think understanding where the student's going. Now, the interesting thing about that, Tony, is it brings up the age old discussion from a fitting perspective. Do you fit a player to their flaw or to where they're going in their golf swing? So maybe they're six across today do you fit them six across today or two across today where they're or two across where they're going to be in six months from now? That's where the art form, I think, ultimately comes in. Yeah. And, and the collaboration. Are you the trying to sell a club today off a rack or are you trying to make a player better? Right. And, right. and there's different goals for everybody. Right. Like if I brought you in and it's a one day deal and you're only trying to sell as many clubs as you can, you're probably going to fit the flaw. But when we've done fitting mm -hmm. things together, you know, these people that I've, bring in. I mean, they're long-time students. They're wanting to get better. And I can tell you, like, hey, this guy, this guy tends to hang back on his right leg, has no forward swing pivot. 
well, putting him in an eight-degree driver probably right. isn't going to make him better. Exactly right. And, and a lot of that, too, is, is assessing the aptitude for change that the student has. You know, if we're working, if you and I are collaborating on a, on a student that's a little older in age, slower in speed, you know, trending the wrong way on the handicap scale, and has been making basically the same golf swing for 25 years, then I may not throw in front of the receiver as far. But if we're working with one of your elite juniors that, you know, you tell them something on a Saturday and by Monday they've overcooked it, you know, I have to be very cognizant of that throughout the fit that, you know, this player is going to make change and they're going to make it very quickly. And if I don't fit the golf club properly, they're actually going to start to change around the golf club to their own detriment. So that's a really different, that's a very interesting point. And you're hundred percent right. That's something that ultimately machine learning and AI will never be able to replicate, but let's face it. Most players aren't fit. If they just had access to some kind of engine that could narrow down the field and say, Hey, you know, you got these 25 drivers that are available out in the marketplace. You kind of need to look over here because these yeah. are the ones that are going to work for you. I think that that's something that would have a lot of value from a fitting perspective. For sure, AI would be way better in a retail store where you hit on it and it just took the information, don't you think? I would think so, right? I would think, I would, think it would, it would unify the experience, consolidate it. So, you know, I think that that's where we're going to see some of this go with fitting. With technology, it's, it's mostly going to be driven at connecting the virtual and STEM experiences to the real experiences. How do we bridge that gap better? How to create remote learning environments in the instructional world? And then how do we start to augment the technology that's available and the understanding that's available for on-course data capture? You know, when you look at all these folks bringing quads out on the golf course, you know, they want to see their numbers on the course when it matters. So I think that that's yeah. all, that's all where, the, where, where everything will be heading. And here's the, here's the really cool part, Tony. It's going to be here way faster than you think. <laughs> it is. It, no question. Yeah. You know, you already see it, you know, and, uh, it's amazing to me how much has changed just in the last three, four years. It's been pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. You know, again, I think the good thing is that, I mean, I know outfitting a teaching bay is expensive. I'm not going to say it's not, but I think it is getting overall more reasonable because I think yeah. that, I mean, look, the quad's less expensive than the track band was two years yep. ago. Right? That's and let's right. face it, the new stuff's better than the stuff was I bought seven years ago. That's the nature of technology. The, the, the nature of technology yeah. is, is that it's going to advance. There's a law in, in computer and in information technology called Moore's Law, which basically means that computers get twice as fast every year. And so it's kind of this exponential growth. You know, it's, this, yeah. it, it's not linear. It's parabolic as far as how fast things evolve and get, and get more technologically advanced. The same can be said, you know, as far as the cost. The cost comes down, the capabilities and the precision go up. And we're going to see a lot of this in the next few years. So for the folks that haven't quite gotten on the, on the bandwagon yet, in no way am I recommending that we have this completely digital golf experience. One of the nice things about golf is to unplug a little bit, get out in nature right. and enjoy it. But when you want to actually understand the way you're doing it out on the golf course, having technological tools available to you to provide that understanding is really important. Sometimes you put the tech away, just play golf. Sometimes you want to use the tech and figure out what you're actually doing. And, and as we kind of move to wrap this up, I want to circle back to something you talked about because I was a non-believer, but now I'm a believer. And, <laughs> you know, the, the, the whole idea that, like, you can't, that whether you can get better or not 
inside, right? And right. I think a hybrid and a blend is the best, like you said, because I, I was forced not by choice, but, you know, I opened an indoor place, was my best option in Mobile. And mm-hmm. we had a swing catalyst, we had a quad, and we had all that inside. And I found that players that would come in and where you would work on the mechanics, whatever it is you're working on in the golf swing, and they couldn't see the ball every swing. I felt yep. that they got better faster during that yes. lesson. And it, it blew me away. Like it was an unintended consequence of my business decision. But I, I've been shocked. I've been shocked at how much faster people have gotten better with the motion of the golf swing where they don't see they don't see every ball. And then after they get yep. them better, you get them better, you pull up the simulator and they start seeing every shot and they're like, this works. That's right. It, to further your point, you know, back when you and I first started hanging out doing stuff together, when I was living uh-huh. in Birmingham and, and you were also, you were down in, uh, I believe it was down in Santa Rosa, I believe, back in yeah. the time. The good old but, days. Yeah. So back when I was doing the TaylorMade thing with the motion capture lab that, that we were working with, you know, it's amazing that when you take the outcome, when you remove the penalty of the outcome from the equation away, and people will actually start to change. And then the next part of that, I don't know if you ever noticed this. I remember having uh, Robbie Shelton in one day, and it was like when you remove the personalization of somebody looking at a video of themselves and you replace that with an avatar, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, people learned faster. And yeah. there was something psychological to it that I can't put my finger on. But I would notice that, you know, people, you would struggle and struggle and struggle to get them to change their swing when they'd look at 2D video. And then you would show that 3D animation to them, and they would change it on the next swing. And I'm, I've never seen this before. So there's something strange about indoor learning that when you remove the outcome penalty and you remove the personalization aspect of it, for some reason, players buy in a little bit more, and they actually yeah. can change their swings a little bit better. I couldn't agree more. And again, like I said, it was a byproduct of some other things. And I, I was a guy, look, I mean, I'm not afraid to admit when I make mistakes, like, or was wrong. And, and I, I was wrong. Like, I, I think, and it's not just for measuring. I know a lot of people take inside and measure, but I think it's a fantastic environment for actually getting better to go in there and work where you don't see every ball. I think, I think it's got a huge value. And that's why I think the transference to where the public can start doing more stuff at home if they are educated. I don't think it ever diminishes my role or your role. I think yep. that we can teach them how to go work on it on their own, and they can do it indoors and not see every ball and see where it's going and get better faster. I think you can have more productive rank sessions, possibly doing it inside where you're measuring something and you're not seeing every ball. You mentioned something earlier about toggling on and off ball flight, basically turning on the shot tracer, turning it off, turning yep. on the group scattered. So that basically... You can turn the outcome on after the player's already made the swing. It's like, okay, so you just hit 10 shots. Where do you think they went? Oh, I think they went way to the right. And then you turn on the data, and it's like, oh, no, they actually went really straight. <laughs> so, right. But right. you have to have a unit that's measuring all that stuff accurately, right? So if, mm-hmm. if, if that's you're why using – the club face is important. That's why I think the club face is so important. That's right. And just going back to the idea that if you're measuring the curvature of the shot or calculating it, in the indoor environment, it's a very important thing because if you're, if you're using that feedback that you're getting on the screen to develop feels, that shot curvature that you're seeing up on the screen better be pretty darn close to what it's like in real life or you're going to get some bad feedback. No question. Yeah, and then so, you become a worse player. 
then you become a worse player. And that's, you asked earlier about what we've seen out on tour. I think some of what we've seen out on tour, these guys are starting to use home simulators a lot more now because it's more efficient for them to practice, especially when they're just working on golf swing mechanics. And when they were seeing some of our competitor systems in the indoor environment showing them shot shakes that they weren't familiar with, it was yeah. pretty quick. It was pretty quick to make a change. So, um, That's awesome. so and anyway, Tony, yeah, this has been awesome, awesome man. <laughs> hey, I appreciate it, buddy. I appreciate you always taking the time. I'm looking forward to doing more stuff with you. I know we're going to do some stuff. I'm going to bring you and make you do some fitting again with me and Mobile. And I appreciate you sitting in and your support always. And I look forward to catching up and hanging out soon. Absolutely, Tony. Thanks for having me on once again. And uh, look forward to being on sometime soon. 